You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 152, Star Wars Games. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is June 30th, 2014, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about Star Wars games. Before we get started on Star Wars games, we are going to get this episode loading, which is stored on my trusty Commodore 64. I actually got rid of some old Star Wars games I had on these blank floppy disks. I have to move all these disks around here. Uh, so while I get these reorganized and get everything loaded back up, we'll have a little bit of time to talk during this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Last month, my family and I took a vacation to Los Angeles, California. We flew to Los Angeles, California. We drove from Los Angeles up to San Francisco, and I've talked a little bit about that on this podcast, and I talked a lot about it on my blog. In fact, if you want to read about all our adventures of all the places we went to, including Disneyland and Alcatraz and Pier 39 and Sequoia National Forest and all those great places, you could go to RobOHara.com and search for California Vacation, and a lot of pictures and posts will come up documenting our trip, but one of the places we got to go to during this trip was Rancho Obi-Wan. If you're not familiar with Rancho Obi-Wan, it is the largest private collection of Star Wars memorabilia in the United States. It is owned by Mr. Steve Sansweet, who is the proprietor of Rancho Obi-Wan. Steve Sansweet, if you uh, have been in the field of collecting Star Wars, if you're a Star Wars collector, uh, you may know his name, not just from his collection. Steve has written 16 different Star Wars books about collecting. Uh, in fact, I purchased, while we were at uh, Rancho Obi-Wan, his latest one, which I have right here. Um, so I'm flipping around, which is uh, Star Wars The Ultimate Action Figure Collection. And when you flip through this book, and this book is, uh, all of a sudden I feel like I'm doing a commercial for the book. It's an 8.5 by 11 color book. Uh, and I'm looking to see if there are page numbers here. I don't see page numbers. Um, but it is literally uh, every action figure that has been, every Star Wars action figure that has been released. Uh, and so you can go through and see, like, um, oh, I'm trying to think, like Greedo, you know, which was a uh, kind of goofy-looking figure that didn't quite look like uh, Greedo as he appeared in Star Wars, and then you can see the newer releases it has from all the different lines of action figures. So every figure from every action figure line, it's just a really cool book to flip through. And that's just one of the collecting-related books uh, that Steve Sansweet has written. He uh, worked for Lucasfilms for 15 years uh, doing public relations, and he's a super cool guy. And my wife set up a tour of Rancho Obi-Wan. So, uh, 
because this is a this uh, episode is all about Star Wars games, I thought I'd talk just a little bit about my trip through Rancho Obi Wan. Rancho Obi Wan is in Petaluma, California. Uh, when you arrive there, and of course, this is all set up in advance. Um, you have to be a member of, uh, it is a nonprofit organization. So you make your donation and I'm now a paying member and, uh, you buy your tickets to, uh, tour the facility. It, uh, used to be a chicken coop, literally. Uh, it, and from the outside, the building, much of the building looks like your average 9,000 square foot chicken coop. Uh, it's only once you go inside, that you begin to see just how amazing uh, Rancho Obi-Wan is. The the first room that you walk into, you're actually led into what's kind of like a, an office environment. There's a library that has, I'm sure, every Star Wars book I have ever seen or heard of or heard about. Um, literally thousands of books, paperbacks, hardcovers, books from other countries, coloring books, um, just tons of stuff. There's also a huge poster and printed material collection. And each one of these things, Steve goes through and shows you, uh, not just the items, but the stories behind the items. And so a lot of his items, uh, you know, for example, he shows you the, the, uh, original revenge of the Jedi poster, which of course people, a lot of people know about, but haven't seen a real one in person. And then he shows you, uh, down in the corner, there's a, a figure of Luke and Darth Vader having a lightsaber battle. And then he points out that, for whatever reason, Luke on the poster is holding a red lightsaber and Darth Vader is holding a blue lightsaber, which is completely backwards. Um, so there's a lot of little trivia and facts that he points out. Uh, my kids and my wife went with, and I think my kids were a little underwhelmed at the beginning of the tour. You know, you're looking at the spine of a lot of books. You're looking at a few maquettes. Um, you know, not really that exciting. You go down the hallway and open the door, and you open up into a gigantic room. I'm going to estimate and say uh, 5,000 square foot, uh, which is filled with any Star Wars toy you can think of. I mean, toys. There is a um, fully animatronic foursome from the uh, the Bith Cantina band there are full size um outfits you know costumes of Star Wars characters there's all the boxed Kenner toys from the original series there's um gosh I'm trying to think through my head you know a lot of times uh Steve would say something like you know there there weren't just um uh you know authorized action figures, but there were also a lot of bootleg figures. And I turn to my wife and I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's going to talk about the Uzi, you know, figures. And then he starts talking about it. And then I'm like, Oh my gosh, I bet he's got the blue Snowtrooper one. And then he turns around and sure enough, there's one on the card. I and mean, these are things, um, you know, that collectors often never get to see in person. Um, we've all heard about, well, I say we've all, uh, if you're a Star Wars collector, you know, these stories of things like, uh, you know, the normal Jawa action figure has a cloth robe. Um, but the, in the very, very beginning, they were released with a vinyl, uh, uh little cape. And, uh, so those are, are pretty rare. In fact, um, the loose ones 
on eBay are about $300. But of course he has a carded one. And not only does he have a carded one, he has a carded one uh, where the, the little cardboard hole that would be punched out uh, to hang it on a peg in a store is not punched out. So it's one that was never even in the store. So in that condition, I mean, you're probably looking at a, I'm just estimating from what I know, but a, a two to $3,000 card. And he has 5,000 square foot of things like this. It is a truly amazing collection. And, you know, I've told my wife before, everything's relative, Everything is relative, especially once you put the internet into an equation. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, well, I have the biggest Star Wars collection of anybody I know locally. You know, so any of my friends in Oklahoma, anybody I know in Oklahoma, they see my stuff and they're like, "You have an amazing Star Wars collection." Uh, and I do. I have a lot of stuff. I have a room full of. Star Wars things. I'm sitting in that room right now. I'm surrounded by shelves that go floor to ceiling that have different Star Wars things that I've picked up over the year. A lot of box things from the, uh, uh, you know, the nineties when that stuff was out, a lot of open and loose vintage things from my childhood and things I've added to that collection. But I have a lot of Star Wars things. Uh, then you add something like the internet and I go on Facebook and I'm like, Hey, I have a lot of Star Wars things. And then I see, People like uh, Tom Burgess, who run I Grew Up Star Wars, and I see his collection. I'm like, wow, I do not have a lot of Star Wars things. <laughs> My collection is, you know, crap compared to some of these people's collections. And then you go to Steve Sansweet, who is really the largest Star Wars collector, and all of a sudden, my stuff is like, you know, everything I have in my collection is like what he has in the the entryway like the room before you get to his collection. I don't even have enough stuff to fill that room. Uh, so it really does uh, put that kind of thing into perspective. I, I did that a lot with arcade games. You know, I would say, oh, I have more arcade games than anybody I know, which was true. Uh, I had At one time, I had 30 arcade machines, which was more arcade machines than a lot of places that call themselves arcades. I remember, you know, I would go to a... Uh, there's a pizza place by me and they have a big sign that says arcade and they have four machines. I'm like, I have 30 machines. <laughs> I have 26 more machines in a place that would call themselves an arcade, you know, but when I go online and I look at people that have, uh, these awesome home arcades, I'm like, wow, I, I really don't have a big collection or I don't have a, a quality collection. You know, I'd look at my stuff and look how beat up and banged up all my games were. Uh, as compared to a lot of other people. So uh, the internet <laughs> is a very, very big pond. I was a big collector uh, in a small pond, but once you make that pond big, I'm I'm not a very big collector. So um, we went through Rancho Obi-Wan. We went to the back room, the first back room, uh, and saw uh, just some amazing things. You know, the um, if you're familiar with the Fisher-Price Adventure People, the original uh, mock-up of Star Wars figures were based on those, and he had a set of those, uh, and the originals aren't really known to exist anymore, but they were mock-ups of those. But just seeing stuff like that, seeing you know pieces of the original Death Star and seeing um, you know models and things like that, just very, very cool. Then he opened up the next back room, and the next back room uh, we were led to through a mock-up of the Corridor, from the uh, Rebel Blockade Runner from Princess Leah's ship at the beginning of 
Star Wars, the original Star Wars, and you go through this and it's a, uh, you know, it looks just like that. And you go into this room that's even a bigger room and that's where all his big boy toys are. Um, you know, there are multiple, we saw different, uh, R2D2 astromech droids. You know, we saw, um, full size Lego models of, uh, Star Wars characters. I know we saw Boba Fett and Darth Vader. Um, just, just amazing stuff. There is a, an episode of cupcake wars. If you've ever seen that show and they built a giant tie fighter and then they put cupcakes on the giant tie fighter. I mean, this thing must be eight foot tall. Uh, he has that and he has a lot of things that people have built, um, and that, you know, didn't have a home and he gave them a home. So there's a, in the very back of this room, there's a giant velvet painting, I believe of, George Lucas with R2-D2 and C-3PO and an artist had painted this, this painting on spec and then tried to sell it to George Lucas. And George Lucas told them he doesn't buy paintings of himself, which is normally a, a good rule, I guess. So, uh, after all was said and done, it ended up at Rancho Obi-Wan. So if you are a star Wars fan and I mean a, a big time, you know, a collector, a fan of the movies, I would implore you to find your way to Petaluma, California, and take the tour of Rancho Obi-Wan. It is um, just an amazing uh, experience. It was, uh, it really helped me put my collecting in check. And what's funny is I mentioned to uh, to Steve Sansweet, I said, do you have a lot of uh, wives that come through here and get worried <laughs> when their husbands see this collection? And he said, usually it's the opposite. He said, you know, once they... Uh, they see his collection. The wives think, well, you know, my husband's collection is not that bad. And that's what my wife said. You know, she said, uh, you know, your collection is contained to a room. This guy bought a, uh, you know, a piece of property with a 9,000 square foot chicken coop on it. So, um, yeah, uh, my collection seems like it's under control compared to Steve. So, uh, but anyway, that was a cool star Wars story. And, um, I really enjoyed that. And, and right now, I'm enjoying all this Star Wars news that are coming out, you know, all these little tidbits about the Star Wars Episode 7. It's being filmed right now. In fact, uh, last week, I believe, was the big story that Harrison Ford had. First, they said he had broken his ankle. Now they're saying he's broken his leg. So he's out of filming for eight weeks. And now um, the latest I read is that the the um, movie may be pushed back because of Harrison Ford's injury. Um, I saw some pictures, I guess they leaked originally through TMZ and I'm not sure where else, uh, but there are pictures of the Millennium Falcon that's being built right now. Life-size Millennium Falcons being on a stage set. And of course, someone uh, took a picture of it with their cell phone and probably sold it to TMZ for a couple hundred bucks. And um, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, I know that uh, with the original Star Wars, well, of course, Star Wars, nobody nobody had spoilers. Nobody knew it was coming. But Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, you know, with Return of the Jedi, they tried so hard to keep spoilers from getting out. Everybody knows the story of um, Blue Harvest, which was uh, the name that they were filming out in the desert when they were filming out in uh, uh, the desert and doing uh, Jabba the Hutt, the uh, skiff scenes. And they... Um, all the crew members wore these shirts and jackets that said blue harvest. And they told all the locals that, uh, it was a horror movie that was being filmed. And so, you know, they tried to keep things under wraps so that, uh, real star Wars fans would have these surprises and stuff. And I don't know 
if they're going to be able to do it with these new films. I mean, even with um, the the prequels, episodes one, two, and three, you know, uh, the, the episode one came out in 1999. So, there's are people on the internet. I was definitely uh, uh, an internet person by then. I, I got on the internet in 94. So, um, you know, by 99, 2002, 2005, and there's a lot of uh, internet action going on during that time, you know? And uh, uh, so I, I, in fact, I remember for definitely for the third film, I remember being able to download it before it hit theaters. There was a work print, that was floating around, you know, so I don't know. I kind of like, uh, the magic of going to the theater and experiencing it for the first time and, uh, being surprised. And, um, you know, there were, there were scenes in episode one. I remember when they all got on, uh, uh, the queen's ship, you know, and, and you have this moment where Obi-Wan meets Anakin and Qui-Gon introduces him. He says, Obi-Wan, this is Anakin Skywalker. And they shake hands and all of a sudden I got these goosebumps. I got chills all over and I'm like, oh, you know, I know that they don't know this. Now we know this as people in the theater that years later, these two are going to fight and Anakin is going to kill Obi-Wan. Uh, so we know this, you know, but of course they, they have no idea as the characters in, in episode one. So it's those moments where you just go, Oh my gosh, you know, and this, these cool things are revealed to you and to have those spoiled little by little before a film comes out, I think ruins it a little bit. So I don't know that I'm that I or anybody is going to be able to fully avoid Star Wars spoilers for episode seven, but I'm going to try. Hey, sounds like the episode is loaded. So this is a good time. Uh, I should mention if you have any feedback about this episode or any episode of the show in general, you can always email your feedback to robohara at robohara.com or leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flack voice mailbox, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. With that, let's get started with this episode of You Don't Know Flack Star Wars Games. Whenever I'm researching a game or a series of games, one of the first places I go to is Moby Games. And so I went to Moby Games and typed in Star Wars. I just wanted to find games that have Star Wars in the title. Moby Games has 215 Star Wars games divided up into 18 different Star Wars categories. So my first problem with this episode quickly became how do I tackle 215 different Star Wars games? Uh, do I do it chronologically? Do I do it by game release or do I do it by movie? I could do it by system or by series. I could sort them out into whether or not they were officially licensed or not. I also had to decide what I was going to include and what I wasn't going to include. Um, do I include handheld games or the electronic board games? The other problem that I have with this episode is quite frankly, I haven't played all of these games. I've played a lot of them, but, uh, not every one of them. So kind of what I have done is I've set it up mostly in chronological order. They are somewhat combined by release date and platform, but uh, you may hear some jumping around. So if uh, if I seem to skip over your favorite Star Wars game, hang, hang with me because it may be coming later on in the episode. The first thing I will talk about is the early days of Star Wars games. And there are a few Star Wars games that, uh, unless you are a hardcore Star Wars fan you may not have heard of. Uh, the very first 
Star Wars game that I could find reference to was called Star Wars. It was released for the RCA Studio 2 slash, I guess overseas, it was the Sheen M1200. It was released in 1978. It was only released overseas, and it is unlicensed. So uh, there were a lot of early computer games that... Uh, emulated Star Wars, you know, games where you would basically go through the trench, like that type of thing. Um, but they weren't called Star Wars. But this is the earliest game I can find that actually has the cartridge literally says Star Wars. Now, there was also an Apple II game released in 1978 called Space Wars. That looks very suspiciously like the Death Star Trench run. Uh, It was not very popular, and one of the reasons why few people have played it is because it requires two paddle controllers hooked up to the Apple II, and with these paddle controllers, you control the X and the Y axis. Uh, So again, this is a very early Star Wars game uh, called Space Wars, but it uh, is obviously a knockoff of Star Wars. Uh, the first officially licensed electronic Star Wars game is the Star Wars Electronic Battle Command. And I'm not going to talk about that game. Uh, if you've not seen it, it was a head-to-head electronic type game. Uh, a lot of people compare it to Battleship. I have played it. Um, it was, uh, again, very early, like 1978. But it was the first official one. But uh, it's not really what I'm talking about on this episode. In this episode... We are going to jump from that release, which was in 1978, to The Empire Strikes Back, which was released for the Atari 2600 in 1982. Now, I know what you're thinking. Where's Star Wars? Well, Star Wars wasn't released yet. The first console uh, Star Wars game was actually Empire Strikes Back. Like I said, it was released in 1982, and I got it for Christmas. Um, It was made by Parker Brothers, and I do remember that the year that I got it, my sister got Strawberry Shortcake, which was also from Parker Brothers. I remember that because both the boxes looked identical. They were both silver, and um, we actually, my parents had to make a rule that we would alternate. I got the Atari for an hour, and my sister got the Atari for an hour, and we would switch back and forth. So I would play Empire Strikes Back for an hour, and then she would play Strawberry Shortcake for an hour. Uh, it was also released for the Intellivision. But, uh, and if you've never played Empire Strikes Back, it, uh, it recreates the Hoth attack scene. You are a, in a snow speeder and you fly around and you shoot AT-ATs. And as you shoot them continually, they turn different colors and, uh, eventually, uh, you can shoot them all and more will come and, and you repeat that until you die. So, uh, no, no happy ending for you. This was followed by a series of star Wars games for the Atari 2600, including star Wars, Jedi arena, Uh, There's the port of the Star Wars arcade game, which I'll be talking about here in a few minutes. Uh, And there was uh, Star Wars Death Star Battle. All three of those games were released the year after Empire Strikes Back. All three of those are 1983 games. Uh, I know Ferg on his 2600 Game by Game podcast has covered 
uh, Jedi Arena. I'm not sure if he has covered uh, Death Star Battle yet or not, but um, uh, all of these games are not great games. Uh, Jedi Arena is actually uh, a fairly terrible game that uses the paddle controllers and you uh, swing a lightsaber back and forth. There was also an Ewok Adventure game, which is unreleased, um, but that ROM, there's a couple different versions of that ROM out there, and uh, those are easy to find if you want to try that game out as well. Um, but really, the big breakthrough in Star Wars games comes that same year, 1983, with Star Wars the Arcade Game. The original Star Wars arcade game featured color vector graphics. Um, it is from the golden age of arcade games, and according to KLOV, it is considered to be the number fourth most popular game of all time. It was available in both upright and cocktail cabinets, and I certainly remember the cocktail cabinet. You would get inside this thing. It was just like being inside an X-Wing fighter. You had this cool yoke that had dual fire buttons. It actually had four fire buttons. It had a trigger on each side and then like a photon button on each side that you would use to fire your photon missiles into the uh, exhaust port at the end of the Death Star Trench to blow up the Death Star. And then uh, so you would fly around and shoot TIE fighters, and then you would eventually go to the Death Star, fly through the trench, avoid being shot, use your shields, blow up the Death Star, and then in between levels they would somehow build a new Death Star, and you would just basically keep blowing up the Death Star over and over. It is one of the earliest arcade games to feature digitized sound from the movie. R2 join to increase the power. Apparently, this game is very easy to play. Now, if you've ever played this game, you would probably disagree with me, and that is not a statement that I would say myself. I would not call this game easy. Uh, but in 1984, uh, Robert Merchek, I, I always butcher his name, uh, scored 300 million points on this game in 49 hours, and he set the world record for an individual gameplay. Uh, in 2005, uh, a record was set, a world endurance record of 54 hours, uh, but that was he only acquired 283 million points. Uh, and then in June of 85, a team of three guys took turns, and they played on a single credit for five days, two hours and 26 minutes. They attained the world record score of, oh my gosh, I can't even read this, one trillion one trillion and twelve points. <laughs> so they were twelve over, uh, scoring exactly a trillion. Um, so because of this, uh, now whenever they have tournaments or whatever, they do not play on the the easy or normal setting. They actually turn it up to uh, the more difficult setting where you don't get as many shields. Uh, well, you get shields, you just don't get uh, bonus shields. So you only get the six that you start with, I believe. Um, and the high score for that right now is 31 million. 
uh, which took about seven hours. Now, if you've ever played this game, I want you to imagine playing this game for seven hours. Most people can't play it for seven minutes. It's a very fast-moving type game, and once you go through the levels a couple of times, it's very difficult to go past um, about the third level. So anyway, you want to work on that, you can try to get up to that 7 million uh, or 31 million points and play for seven hours. Or if you want to leave it on the regular setting, you can go for that record of uh, five plus days. I actually got one of these machines for free um, years and years ago when I was first collecting arcade games. So this would have been 94, late 94, possibly early 95. A coworker of mine, uh, his house was struck by lightning and he had this Atari cabinet and Atari Star Wars. And after his house was hit by lightning, the game no longer worked. And um, he didn't know how to repair it, and he knew that I collected arcade games, and so he basically said I could have it. He said it was ruined. So I took the game and put it in my little storage area, uh, which was the back part of the house, and was always going to fix it. And about six months later, I moved. I moved out of state to an apartment, and I did not have the ability to take all my games with me. So uh, I knew I would not be able to sell a crappy old color vector game. And so when somebody bought one of my other games, I actually gave them this Atari game. Now, I have seen uh, working working Star Wars arcade cabinets go for anywhere from one to $2,000, depending on condition. And I've seen broken ones uh, in nice condition. I mean, with nice cabinets go for three, four, five hundred $500. So yep. Learning lesson for me. Don't, uh, don't give things away. And, and in retrospect, I mean, it kills me to know that it was probably, it could have been a very inexpensive fuse or a very cheap repair to fix that machine. But, um, you know, hindsight. Um, now this version, what we call the arcade star Wars, uh, was ported to, as I mentioned before, the Atari 2600. It was also ported to the 5200, the 8-bit Atari computers, the ColecoVision, and the Commodore 64. That was the first time it was ported by Parker Brothers. That was all 1983-1984. The same game was ported a second time, and this is, gets a little confusing. Uh, it was released again for the Amiga Atari ST, the, uh, let's see here, the Amstrad, the ZX Spectrum, uh, BBC Micro, and Enterprise 64. I don't even know what that is. Um, and also it was reconverted again for the Atari 8-bit computers and for the Commodore 64. This version was developed by Vector Graphics, which is funny because, um, you know, on none of these computers have vector monitors. Uh, in Europe, it was published by Domark. And in the U.S., it was published by Broderbund uh, for the Apple II, uh, the Macintosh, the Commodore 64, and DOS versions were done by Broderbund in the U.S. in 1988. So uh, if you want to play this original version of Star Wars, there's a lot of, a lot of different old retro systems uh, that you can play it on. Now, back to arcade releases. Uh, again, that one was released in 1983. The following year, they released Return of the Jedi. Security deflector shield will be deactivated when we have confirmation of your code transmission. Leave them to me. I will deal with them myself. Return of the Jedi does not look anything like the original uh, Star Wars arcade. It, it is not a color vector game. It is a full graphical game. 
made by Atari. It is presented in an isometric 3D view, so similar to what you would think of Zaxxon. Um, there are three or four different levels. I know at the beginning you uh, pilot a speeder bike and you fly through indoor and you have to... Uh, uh, not get shot from behind. So you have to, you have to fly fast enough to not get hit from behind, but not so fast that you run into obstacles. Oh, I see them. Wait for me. Um, the next stage there, and they're all presented in that same isometric view. The next stage, you control the millennium Falcon and you fly through the middle of the death star and blow that up. Here goes nothing. And then in the next round, uh, it alternates back and forth. You fly a speeder bike again for a little while. Then you flip over to the ATST, the Scout Walker, the two-legged uh, AT-AT, if you will, the ATST. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a round where you split back and forth between, I think, the ATST and the Millennium Falcon. Uh, it's, it's a very strange uh, game, the way that the levels are set up, but uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, the, the takeaway I would say here is that it's, uh, much more advanced than the original star Wars. I mean, as far as graphics, uh, you know, new sound, I played this at, um, Ballet Le Mans, which was our arcade at Crossroads mall. I remember this being in the now featured section, which was a little section up on a, a platform with light bulbs around on the, on the you know, like a, a, like a new movie, you know, so this little pedestal and I would go up there and play that. So that was fun. Uh, so that was 1984. 1985 brings us The Empire Strikes Back. May the force be with you. We picked up something outside the base. So, yes, it goes out of order. 83 is Star Wars. 84 is Return of the Jedi. 85 is Empire Strikes Back. And Empire Strikes Back is another color vector game. In fact, this was sold as a conversion kit for the original uh, Star Wars machine. So you could take, you know, this upgraded chipset and apply it into the original Star Wars and then you got Empire Strikes Back. It also came, I think, with some decals that you would just stick on the cabinet on the side where it said Empire Strikes Back and there was a different uh, marquee that went up to the top. Uh, it did have updated levels, you know, graphics and sound and, and there was a, a level where you chased after AT-ATs and where you blow up these uh, little gun towers and turrets things, but um, it wasn't very popular, and I guess the idea was that they were trying to breathe some life back into those original Star Wars machines, um, but this uh, this game didn't really catch on. I mean, 1985, uh, you know, you're, you're two years past Return of the Jedi, and you're five years past Empire Strikes Back, and this is the Empire Strikes Back game, so uh, not very popular. Um, in recent years, I say recent years, in the last five to ten years, someone has released a, a switchable harness that will allow you to put Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back in the same cabinet. So, um, you know, that that would be the way to go, I would think, if you're going to own one or not. Now, if you want another way, I didn't mention this before, if you want to play all three of these original arcade games, they are included as unlockable extras in the Nintendo GameCube game Star Wars Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike. So if you happen to run across that uh, for the GameCube, or you can play it on the Nintendo Wii as well, uh, you can unlock all three of these arcade games. So a lot of games in the uh, early to mid-80s about, uh, you know, involving Star Wars. And then we have the video game Crash. Well, we have two things. Number one, we have the video game Crash of uh, 80s that everybody likes to talk about. 
And we also have no new Star Wars movies. <laughs> Return of the Jedi is in 1983, so with no new Star Wars movies, there's no new Star Wars games coming out. Uh, the one exception to that is in 1987, there is a Star Wars game released for the Famicom, uh, the Japanese Nintendo. Uh, it is very loosely based on Star Wars. I know that um, you fight Darth Vader in this game, and at one point he will transform into a scorpion, and sometimes he transforms into a shark. Uh, so it's it's a Star Wars game, but it's not not very true to the original source material. Uh, we don't get into the next generation of real Star Wars games until 1991, uh, when we get Star Wars for the Nintendo Entertainment System, the Sega Master System, and Game Boy and Game Gear. <laughs> Now, I got my Nintendo, I've talked about this before on the show, I got my Nintendo um, when a co-worker of mine was ready to buy a Super Nintendo. So I was way behind the curve. You know, I was a, a Commodore guy, and I was getting games for free. <laughs> I could download all the games I wanted and save them on blank discs, so I wasn't like uh, uh, these uh, Nintendo kids that had to pay $30 or $40 every time they wanted a new game. So when my friend uh, was selling his Nintendo, he sold me his Nintendo and 30 games for $100, which was a, you know, a great deal for me. So I pounced on that, and in this collection, I got uh, the original Star Wars. It is a platform game, and uh, it's hard as crap. <laughs> uh, you run around and you play the major Star Wars characters. I think it could be Luke and, and maybe Han, and uh, I don't know. I think maybe it could be Chewbacca in the first one, but... Uh, but, you know, it's a platform-type game, and you go through all the different scenes in the movie. It's very, very Star Wars-y and very hard. Uh, the next one that was released was The Empire Strikes Back. That was in 1992. Uh, and it's just, you know, obviously it uses the same engine as Star Wars. Uh, it was only released for the NES and the Game Boy. But um, other than updated locations, you know, for Empire Strikes Back, it plays a lot like the original Star Wars game. Uh, we don't see a real jump in Star Wars games until uh, later that year, 1992, we see Super Star Wars. Super Star Wars, uh, I know that you can play as Luke, Han, uh, or Chewie. It is another platform game, but uh, Super Star Wars was obviously released for the Super Nintendo, and now it has been released uh, for the Wii as well. Um, but uh, it has great 16-bit graphics, very detailed graphics. I love this era of bit graphics. Um, and especially with Star Wars figures, you know, as you um, you run around in this game, it just looks fantastic. I really like this game. Uh, and the next year, 1993, we get Super Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, also for the Super Nintendo, and it is also available on the Wii. Uh, again, you get uh, your choice of playing Luke, Han, or Chewie. Uh, there are 25 different levels in this game, and it introduced a password system. So as you play this game... 
and uh, you know you die and you want to come back or save your game or whatever, you can use these passwords and come back. So that was uh, a nice addition to these Star Wars games. Uh, the next year, 1994, we get Super Star Wars Return of the Jedi, also for Super Nintendo and has been since released for the Wii. Uh, this game was also on Game Boy and Game Gear in 95, but I'm not sure that it was exactly the same. Uh, and the big addition on this one that everybody was excited about is that for the first time you can play as Princess Leia. Uh, but anyway, uh, all three of these games, uh, if you're looking for Star Wars games, and they're platform games, they're hard. Um, if you're old like me, <laughs> you remember how hard some platform games were. If you're young... And you're like, oh, it's a platform game. You're going to get frustrated as crap because these games uh, will kill you relentlessly. But um, Super Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, if you're looking for some great 16-bit Star Wars games to try out, these are definitely some ones to go try. Now we're going to jump forward to a new platform that I like to call DOS. Well, it's not just me. A lot of people <laughs> like to call it DOS. Um... In 1993, and this is slightly chronologically out of order, but the first, I, I remember going to, um, oh, it was probably Best Buy, I would say, and I was looking through um, the bin of, you know, discount games or whatever, and I ran across Star Wars Chess. Now, if you uh, are an old school gamer, you probably remember Battle Chess, and Battle Chess is a chess game that plays just like chess. Uh, except for when one piece takes another, there is a pre-rendered animation that takes place. So every time, for example, uh, a pawn takes a rook or a queen takes a knight or something, you get the same animation every time. Um, well, Star Wars Chess is that exact same idea. It's a chess game that features all the, the characters from the original Star Wars trilogy, and uh, you have pre-rendered animations. Now, this when this game came out, I believe the original version was eight floppies and there was a CD version that came out later, which was then released also on floppy, which I think is 14 floppies. That number sticks out to me. Um, but star Wars chess was probably the first other than that original star Wars arcade game that, that everybody had. This was the first newer star Wars release, uh, that came out. So I remember getting that and, um, I, I liked it. Um, I, I, I'm not great at chess. I used to like playing chess, but this was Star Wars chess. And so I remember a lot of people being disappointed that it wasn't the uh, holographic chess from the Millennium Falcon. This is just a regular chess game, but it is Star Wars. It has Star Wars animations and sound effects and things like that. And that made it pretty cool. And so this kind of began the, what I would call the, um, the PC era of Star Wars games. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> Look what has happened to me! Oh dear! So while Star Wars Chess was the first game that I remember getting for the PC, uh, it definitely wasn't the first chronologically. The year before, we have X-Wing. Now, X-Wing was released in 1992, and in X-Wing, surprise, you fly an X-Wing fighter and go through several missions. Um, there were many add-ons for X-Wing. Uh, there was B-Wing, there was X-Wing Alliance, 
Uh, there's X-Wing Trilogy, which included uh, the other add-ons. There's X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, uh, and there's an entire series of those games. So um, X-Wing was very popular, and uh, actually, according again to Moby Games, starting in 1993, we have X-Wing. Then we have X-Wing Imperial Pursuit, X-Wing B-Wing. In 94, we get TIE Fighter, which was kind of the inverse of X-Wing. Uh, in this game, you fly an Imperial TIE Fighter. Then there was TIE Fighter Defender of the Empire, uh, their X-Wing Collector CD-ROM. Uh, let's see, they also have X-Wing, uh, or no, TIE Fighter Demo Version and TIE Fighter Collector CD-ROM. Uh, Rebel Assault and X-Wing Collector CD, Star Wars X-Wing versus TIE Fighter Balance of Power Campaign, Star Wars X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, Advanced Tactical Missions, which are add-on levels for X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, uh, 98, we have X-Wing Collector Series, 99, we have X-Wing Alliance, 2000, we have X-Wing Trilogy, and in 2000, we also have X-Wing versus TIE Fighter plus Balance of Power. So there are a lot of games in the X-Wing slash TIE Fighter series of games. Many of the older ones were DOS only, and so you may have trouble or difficulty getting those to run without the use of something like DOSBox. Uh, some of the Windows ones were specially made for Windows 95, and you may have trouble running those on modern 64-bit operating systems. So uh, whichever ones you could get to run, if you haven't played these games, you should definitely play them. Uh, some of the newer releases updated the graphics, um, and uh, they're all a lot of fun. So that's the X-Wing series. Then you had Rebel Assault which came out, Rebel Assault came out in 93 also. Uh, it came out for DOS, Sega CD, the 3DO, and the Macintosh. And there was a sequel, Rebel Assault 2, uh, which was DOS, Windows, PlayStation, and Macintosh. And then there was a collection of Rebel Assault 1 and 2, which was for DOS and Windows. Uh, Rebel Assault is a 3D-ish type game. Uh, it was rebel assault is, I think the first game, one of the first games I ever purchased that came on CD. Um, so I, I know I had seventh guest and I know I had a couple other games missed maybe. Um, but I think this may be the first one that I bought and is definitely, of course, star Wars. So I would remember that, but rebel assault are fun games. Uh, again, maybe with DOS box, you might be able to play them, uh, rebel assault Two. Uh, for the original PlayStation, you could probably find something to play uh, a PlayStation game on, but um, some of the other ones might be difficult to run to date. It is morning at a rebel base on planet Tatooine, where a young pilot is embarking on a crucial training flight. TACCOM Control, request clearance for departure. This is TACCOM Control, clearance granted. Is that you, kid? Hack, good to hear you. So you're running your trials today. I wish I could be with you. You shouldn't have any problems. Beggar's Canyon isn't half as tough as the runs we used to do. Good luck. Thanks. In 1995, we had Dark Forces. Um, it is notable, it was released for the PC, and it is notable uh, because uh, it features Kyle Katarn, which is a 
character that would come back as basically as the first Star Wars character. I think this is the first time a character was first introduced in a game and then brought into the Star Wars universe. Um, I Dark Forces is a what I would call a Doom type game. It is a first person shooter. Uh, and you go through, but of course it's in the Star Wars universe. And there was a, a level I remember where you're going through, you're like knee deep uh, in these sewers and, and the um, Dianoga, the, the trash compactor monster every now and then would poke his little eye up and you would shoot him. Um, but uh, I think Lucas actually made their own engine for this game because I know it, it uh, allowed for ducking and jumping and a lot of things that weren't in uh, Doom or Doom 2 uh, games that were popular at that time. Um, I got this for free at Best Buy, the demo version. It came with a demo version of this. And I want to say Rebel Assault and Full Throttle, I think. Um, and we used to give these away at Best Buy. And so I used to have a stack of these. I, I know I still have one somewhere. Uh, but that's where I first played Dark Forces. I just recently bought Dark Forces off of eBay. Um, not, uh, I don't want to segue into this right now, but I have a sizable collection of these 200 and something games. I probably have maybe a hundred. Um, but, uh, it's, I don't have as many as it sounds and we'll talk about that later on. Um, next up was shadows of the empire, which came out in 1996. And I believe it was originally released on the Nintendo 64, although it did, uh, also come out for windows in the timeline of star Wars movies. Shadows of the Empire takes place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, it is based on the book, uh, Shadows of the Empire. It features Prince Zizor and Dash Rendar, which were um, later on in the uh, 90s when they were releasing the Power of the Force action figures. They had the purple carded figures that were Shadow of the Empire figures, and we got to see what these people looked like. But, uh, well, and if you played the game, you know what they look like too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, shadows of the empire was a fantastic game on the Nintendo 64. It really showed off that system's capabilities, you know, um, captain, I've established contact with the rebel outpost on Hoth. This is dash Rendar. Tell the princess I've got that shipment of assault blaster. She's been waiting for copy outrider. We've been expecting it. You are clear to land at base three. Nintendo and the Nintendo, the original NES, um, is eight bits and it, it, um, has, you know, decent graphics and sound, but then the 16 bit blew it away. You know, the 16 bit, um, the graphics and the sound were just so much better. But by the time we got to Nintendo 64, you have these 3d type games. Um, and, um, of course, you know, being a cartridge, no loading time, and uh, unlike this podcast, where we have a loading time at the beginning of every episode. And, uh, yeah, it, it's really, really good. Um, if uh, you have a Nintendo 64 laying around and you haven't tried Shadows of the Empire, you should. Uh, it's a pretty inexpensive cartridge, and you should pick that up. There are a bunch of other Star Wars games listed at Moby Games. Uh, Yoda Stories, Monopoly, uh, a lot of stuff like that. There was a sequel to Dark Forces called Jedi Knight, Dark Forces 2. Um, so nothing, uh, too memorable on my list. The next memorable game that I see here is Star Wars Masters of Terrace Kasai. Ready? Fight! (laughs) 
force was not strong with this one. Uh, this is a 1997 PlayStation game, and this is the first Star Wars fighting game. So this is a one-on-one fighting game. You think 1997, uh, you know, we're in the era of uh, Tekken is big and Street Fighter is big and Virtua Fighter. Um, you know, so all these uh, 3D, well, Street Fighter's not, but uh, a Tekken and Virtua Fighter, you know, 3D type polygon uh, fighting games. And so that's where we get Masters of uh, Terrace Kasai, which is a uh, and actually a fighting style. And so for the first time, you can uh, be Luke and, and punch, you know, Darth Vader in the face if you want or uh, all these different characters. Um, you also got Arden Lynn, which was uh, the first time she was introduced in a Star Wars game. This game came out for the original PlayStation, and I'll tell you why it's memorable. It's probably a, a bad reason for it being memorable for me. Uh, but this game was impossible to copy. <laughs> and the reason why is because um, it contained tons of audio tracks that were less than four seconds in length, which was the minimum amount that uh, any CD-ROM burner at the time could do. So it was very difficult to um, uh, make copies of. <laughs> um, but I had an original. I, I um, had tried throughout the years to um, purchase the Star Wars games, and so I, I had an original of this. and still do have an original of this. Uh, so that was in 1997, and then two years later, in 1999, in theaters was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And so uh, all of a sudden we got a onslaught of Star Wars Episode One games. Uh, a few of them that were noteworthy include uh, the Episode One Racer, which was the original pod racer game, and it was released for the Dreamcast. Uh, the Macintosh, Nintendo 64, and for Windows. There was a sequel for that in 2002 called Racer Revenge, which came out for the PlayStation 2. Uh, there were a couple of flying games. One was uh, Battle for Naboo, and the other was... Uh, what was the other one? Oh, uh, uh, Starfighter, Jedi Starfighter, uh, which was for PlayStation 2 and Dreamcast. That game is really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Jedi Starfighter. There was also Jedi Power Battles, which was a 3D, 3D-ish, like third-person uh, platform game where you got to go through all the levels of Star Wars Episode One, And that game got a lot of bad reviews, but I really enjoyed playing that at the time. And I mean, we're still talking the era. This is pl- the original PlayStation and Dreamcast. And I thought it was an okay game, but uh, uh, there's also a release of it for Game Boy Advance. Um but, uh, you know, it, it's funny, as I'm looking through these lists here, I, I can tell you um, that I bought a Nintendo 64 to play Shadows of the Empire. That is why I bought a Nintendo 64. And I bought a Dreamcast because of Episode One Racer. So not only have Star Wars games uh, invaded my collection... <laughs> Um, but I have actually purchased consoles for the sole purpose of playing Star Wars games. Uh, moving on here, there were a lot of uh, real-time strategy games. I've never played one. I have no interest in them. Uh, so there were some real-time strategy games, Star Wars-type games. I actually have a few. Um, I think Rebellion is one. and There's some other ones in my collection, um, but I've never actually played them. Uh, there were some Clone War games as well. Again, not really my uh, my cup of tea. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic, 
was a Star Wars uh, RPG um, that uh, you could go play online. And um, you know what? I never played this. And the reason why is because, not because I don't love Star Wars, because I do love Star Wars. But the reason I never played this is because I had a lot of friends that were playing World of Warcraft and other, um, you know, MMORPG type games. Uh, And all those games reward you for being online a lot and playing a lot. And I knew that I didn't have the time to commit to these type of games, you know. And so I really wanted to play it, but I just just never did it, you know. And so um, I I do kind of regret that because a lot of these games that are online-based, you can't go back now and play. I mean, if you go back, you know, either online gameplay is disabled or nobody's playing it, you know. So... Uh, either way, I kind of missed out on an opportunity there. I wish in, in retrospect I had done that. Uh, and then moving forward just a little bit here, uh, there were, in 2005 with Revenge of the Sith, there were obviously uh, several games based on that, including uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, which was the Sith Lords, and, and uh, Revenge of the Sith Episode 3. Um, so lots and lots and lots of Star Wars games to choose from. Um, now running down, I have a list here of star Wars arcade games. And I mentioned a few of them, uh, at the beginning, we talked about star Wars return of the Jedi and empire strikes back. Those are hard to say in the (laughs) the wrong order for me, but that's the, uh, order in which they were released. Um, in 1993, there's a game released called star Wars arcade. If you've never seen it, that's okay. According to KLOV, there were only 12 that were imported into the U S and I have played one. I played one in uh, Las Vegas at New York, New York. They had one at their arcade there. And it is a two-player Star Wars game in which you sit side by side and one person flies the spaceship. And I think you're an X-Wing fighter or or maybe the Millennium Falcon. But uh, one person flies and the other person shoots. And so it's a a two-man. It's kind of a, if you think of uh, like the old... uh, what was it called? The the firefighter type game where you have two people playing at the same time. It's similar to that where each of you have a different job. I think there's a Jurassic Park game that's similar to that where one person drives and one person shoots dinosaurs. So, uh, but not very many of those. So if you've, if you've never seen one, don't feel bad. They were certainly not that many made it to the U S now. What did make it to the U S was star Wars racer arcade, AKA the pod racer game. And you may have seen this, uh, there's an upright version where you can stand and play, or there's a sit down one that looks like you're sitting on a pod racer. And I play that game every time I run across it. I love this game and the controls are just like a pod racer, which means you have thrust on either side. So to turn, you have to, if you want to turn right, you have to pull, I have to think about this. You have to pull the right one back and cut the, cut the thrust to the right and push the left one forward. And if you want to cut to the left you pull the left one back and the right one forward and then if you want to haul ass some pod racing ass you push them both forward <laughs> and turn on those after murders um there's also a a button where you can speed up time i think you use the force or something uh and that's a lot of fun if you want to go really really fast uh and usually if you're me crash into rocks and stuff but uh, star wars racer arcade there's also one listed here on KLV called Star Wars Starfighter. I've never seen this game. I, I'm looking at it on KLOV. I look at the graphics and stuff, and it looks really awesome. I've never seen this game in an arcade, so I may need to do some research and see if there are any arcades that have this around. 
Um, and then the one that a lot of people have seen is the Star Wars Trilogy Arcade, uh, which was pretty popular. It came out um, after that last one. Uh, <laughs> I don't have the year here, but um, uh, there's different levels. You can play Star Wars Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. You go through there are bonus levels where you have lightsaber duels with Darth Vader. It's a lot of fun. I believe the joystick is an optical 49-way joystick, and it is a pain in the booty. Uh, if you see machines, you'll often you'll see Star Wars Trilogy arcade machines for sale, and it'll say, all it needs is a joystick. Watch out, because those joysticks are expensive and very difficult to repair. Um, so, I mean, I have seen people literally giving this machine away because uh, it needs a new joystick. And actually, I think the joysticks have come down in price. I think you could probably get one now for maybe 100 150 something like that, but... Um, uh, but yeah, it's not just a regular old, you know, five or ten dollar uh, Wico joystick that you can toss in there. So, but Star Wars Trilogy Arcade is a fun, fun game too. Also, along with uh, uh, arcade games, we have pinball games, and I'm not going to go into a lot of the details. I don't know a lot of the details about these older ones. I see that there's Empire Strikes Back in 1980, Star Wars in '92. There's a Star Wars Trilogy machine, which I've played. I played that uh, in, last time I was in Chicago. I found one. And that's a fun game. And then there's the Episode 1 that a lot of people have seen that actually has what looks like the holograms pointing down on the screen where you shoot uh, at targets at battle droids and things like that. A lot of people, I think a lot of pinball purists don't like this machine. I like this machine, obviously, because it's Star Wars. Um, and it's just something a little different as far as, as pinball is concerned. Um, so I don't play it every time I've seen it, but I, I did enjoy playing that. Um, we also have, um, let's see here. Oh, under, uh, consoles, we have the Lego star Wars games, which, uh, came out. There are several different ones. There's the, uh, Lego star Wars video game, uh, which was episodes one, two, and three, which nobody wanted to play. Uh, Lego quickly, uh, fixed that problem by releasing, uh, Lego Star Wars, the classic trilogy, uh, which is the classic episodes four, five, and six. Uh, that was followed by Star Wars or Lego Star Wars, the complete saga, which I believe is all six uh, movies with some uh, additional extras tossed in. And then there was also Lego Star Wars, Clone Wars, uh, based on the cartoon series. So lots of different Lego Star Wars games, and those are for all different kinds of systems. Uh, and that's one of the problems I've had with collecting Star Wars games. Uh, Lego Star Wars, the original, is listed for six different systems. So uh, when I said at the beginning there are 215 Star Wars games listed in Moby Games, that does not take into account the fact that many of those appear on three, four, five, or six different systems. So to collect all the games for all the systems is going to be an awful lot of games. So uh, right now what I'm trying to do is just collect one of each uh, like one of each game. I don't care what system they're for. And then later on, I'll go through and, and maybe uh, if I hit the lottery, I'll, I'll try to complete the uh, Star Wars collection. The next Star Wars series I want to talk about is Star Wars Battlefront. There's Battlefront 1 and 2. Uh, the original Battlefront was released in 2005, and it was released for the Macintosh, the PlayStation 2, Windows, and the Xbox. Star Wars Battlefront is probably the closest you'll ever get to actually being in a Star Wars movie. And the difference between a, this and a lot of the other games is, for example, when you're playing Super Star Wars, 
you're obviously going to be Han Solo or you're going to be Luke. And when you're playing, you know, any of these Star Wars games, when you're playing the original Star Wars arcade, you're Red 5, you're going to the trench. You know, you are these star people in the movies. But in Battlefront, you're just a soldier. You're just a random guy out there fighting the battle. And it's going to be 100 versus 100 people, you know, and you're out running around on different maps. Um, Battlefront 2 is more of the same. Uh, It was released for PlayStation 2. The PSP, Windows, and Xbox again. And there were some other Battlefront games for portable systems. There's Battlefront Elite Squadron for the PSP and the DS, and then uh, Battlefront Renegade Squadron just for the PSP. Uh, these games are fantastic. Now, they have problems. And one of the big problems that people complain about is the AI. And I have done this before. I mean, you could start off in these missions where. Uh, you're fighting on indoor, and it's a hundred of your guys versus a hundred of their guys, and whether you're the good guys or the bad guys. And all you need to do is go run and hide, and you can go hide somewhere. And those AI bots will sit there and fight each other all day long. Sometimes they'll, you know, run into each other and they shoot each other, and they'll fall off trees and they do all these silly things. And you could wait it out until you know. Sometimes you could win the level by not doing anything. So it was a lot more fun when you could play online. With other people, I still enjoy it, um, but the campaign mode, like I said, it, it has issues. It hasn't aged greatly, but you know, you had the original Battlefront, and then you had the Battlefront Two, and then the PlayStation Three and the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty came out, and we all thought we can't wait for Battlefront Three. And then, you know, there was even footage of Battlefront Three that leaked, but there was never a Battlefront Three. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes here. Uh, we have um, the uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic, which is the big MMORPG. Uh, again, I didn't, I didn't play it. I just don't play those genres. I don't don't have the time to get in those genres of uh, those types of online games. But what I did have time for is Star Wars: The Force Unleashed, which was uh, there was a, a first one and a second one. They were released originally, I believe, for the Wii, although they came out with different uh, different ones for uh, other systems. But uh, the cool thing about this is that you got to use the Force, and you got to use the Force with the Wii mode. So you got to shake things around and wave around your wars, your uh, Force powers and stuff. And it was it was cool. It was a great idea. Not perfect execution, but still, you know, something fun and something fun in the Star Wars universe. Um, just when it seemed like Star Wars games were drying up, we got Angry Birds Star Wars. Now, I'm not going to say this is great. And in fact, you know, when I go to the Star Wars aisle, there's a Star Wars aisle at Toys R Us. And I go there and I look and I'm looking for Star Wars toys. And half the aisle now is Angry Birds plushies that look like Chewbacca and Princess Leia and Darth Vader, it just gets on my nerves. I mean, this is like, to me, um, like the Ewoks of today. You know what I mean? It's like, it's obviously just meant for marketing purposes. It's not for Star Wars. It's not for Star Wars fans, and it's not for Star Wars the movie. It's for Star Wars the merchandise. <laughs> um, so, you know what? It is what it is, and I guess... If uh, one of those toys or one of these games gets a kid into Star Wars, then I guess I'm for it, you know. But um, 
it seems like a little much to me now. Uh, I talked a little bit about Battlefront 3, which had not come out. Another game that did not come out was Star Wars 1313, which was a planned game that was going to follow the life of a bounty hunter. And uh, he was going to go to Coruscant and go to level 1313. He was going to find this criminal plot. Um, and it was all supposed to be about bounty hunters and stealth and all these cool things. There was a lot of pictures and screenshots and video released of this. And, um, unfortunately it was still, um, being made when, uh, Lucas films, uh, or when Lucas arts was purchased by Disney. And so that killed the project, uh, which is too bad because this game looked really cool. And I'm sure that whatever engine this was using will probably be recycled into something else eventually. Uh, but that's too bad because this really looked like a really cool star Wars game. 13, 13. Catch a deep breath. It'll be the last fresh air you'll get for a while. Fresh air is overrated. Let's see how you feel about that after you get a thousand levels down. Instead, what we got was a dozen different tablet and iPhone games. (laughs) Uh, We got Tiny Death Star. We got Trench Run, Falcon Runner, um, The Battle for Hoth, which is a tower defense game. There's a, a cantina game, which is like one of those diner-type games where you have to serve food. Um, just last week, there was a Star Wars scene maker, and I have not tried that yet, but that allows you to set up scenes and make your own little 3D movies from Star Wars. So, yep, we don't get 1313, which would have been an awesome bounty hunter game, um, but we do have a cantina where you can serve up cups of blue milk. <sighs> Dumb. Uh, (laughs) anyway, uh, an E3 last month, we got to see footage of a new star Wars game and it's the new battlefront game. Now we all know this is battlefront three, although it's being called, um, a re, what do they call this? A rebirth, a reimagining, a re whatever. Uh, so it's just going to be called battlefront. They're not calling it battlefront three. Um, now the, the one that was being developed was being developed by a company called free radical design. And they worked on it for two years and apparently they lost their license. Um, and then there was going to be another battlefront, uh, called online battlefront and it was canceled in 2010. So, um, really before the, the purchase by Disney, but maybe, Either the licensing expired or maybe it had something to do with that. But um, it looks like we are now going to get the Battlefront game that we all would love to have and that we all deserve to have. I mean, I've seen the graphics on this thing. Uh, If you watch this video, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, the guys working on this actually went to the Lucasfilm archives and scanned in the models that were used in the movie. So it is screen perfect. There are pictures of snow speeders flying around that look like, I mean, with, with the, the modern graphics, it looks as good as the CGI that was used in, um, you know, the prequels or whatever. It, it's amazing looking graphics. And so I'm really, 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 I haven't been this excited about a star Wars game in a long time. 
Uh, I do not have a PS4 or an Xbox One, but there's a pretty good chance I could buy one when this game comes out. So that, as you can hear, my voice is getting hoarse from all this talking about Star Wars. And I'm looking over here next to me at the shelf of Star Wars games that I have. I have a ton of, like I said, I haven't counted them all up, but uh, more. It's, I'm looking at it. It's probably more than 50. It's probably closer to about 60 or 70 Star Wars games from every system. I have um, the uh, all the Atari cartridges. Mine are all loose. Um, I have some of the uh, of games for the other systems. I have the Star Wars arcade game for the 32X. I can see from here I have Nintendo and Super Nintendo uh, ones. And then of the boxed ones, I have all the Nintendo 64 games boxed. I have all the uh, GameCube ones and lots of PS2 and lots and lots of PC games. So I, I really enjoy. I just recently bought uh, Star Wars Droids, which I didn't even know was a game and is only available apparently in the UK on cassette. So I'll have to see if that's available to play through emulation or something. But I actually, uh, that just arrived yesterday in the mail. So, uh, and, and uh, I was bidding on... Uh, the original Star Wars trilogy, all three games, uh, the UK, and they're all cassette versions. And so I got I got outbid on those, but um, I would like to add those. So anyway, I will continue my quest to buy Star Wars games, and I hope you continue your quest to play some of them. Like I said, the, lots of them are available. If you're familiar with DOSBox, a lot of the DOS-based ones are playable, and if not, there are lots of ones for um, PlayStation, PlayStation 2, Xbox, uh, and things like that. So uh, lots of them out there if you want to give some of them a try. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.